0: Please turn with me to the book of Acts, in the fourth chapter. The fourth, act, fourth chapter of the book of Acts, beginning with with uh, verse thirty-one. Acts chapter four, verse thirty-one through Acts chapter 5 and verse 16 Acts chapter 4 verse 31 if you have it say praise the lord praise the lord hey just follow as I read please and when they had prayed the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the holy ghost and they spake the word of god with boldness and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. One spirit, one emotion was governed these people. The Bible says as a result of that, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet." And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet." But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part? of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine hearts? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghosts. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Let's pray. Father, we come before You today. We thank You for Your Spirit. We thank You for Your anointing. We thank You, Lord, for Your presence in our midst. Lord God, we give You all the glory and the honor for this Word today. Speak to us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Please, uh, ushers, if you would help me make sure everybody who is not authorized to be in the back... That they are in this service this morning. Okay? Praise the Lord. Look at Acts chapter 2, please, and let's find out what is going on in uh, this time of the early church. If you go to Acts chapter 2, and let's look at verse 44. The Bible says, And all that believed were together and had all things common, koinonia, common. When it says they had all things common, koinonia, that means they had a fellowship together. A fellowship, a participation, a contribution, a partnership, a partaking of. And that's what the word means. It means many things. So it says they had all things common. In verse 45, it says, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So the same thing that's recorded in Acts chapter 4, is recorded in Acts chapter 2, that they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord, say one accord, in the temple, and breaking bread up from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and have favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Let's find out what is going on here. What is the background here? Because... What was happening in this early church was something that was very, very rare and it was something that was very, very temporal. It was not something that was carried on into the church later on in history. It was the gathering together of the people who had been dispersed throughout the world. The dispersion were the Jewish people who had been scattered. When you talk about the dispersion, you're talking about the Jewish dispersion. You're talking about the Jews had been scattered all over the world. So during the Feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost was outpoured, the Bible tells us that there were Jews from all over the world who had come to Jerusalem to observe the Feast of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost was poured out, plunging us into the Messianic Kingdom of Jesus Christ. And multitudes of people came into the church. And as a result of that, the dispersed Jews did not want to go back to their homes. They wanted to stay in Jerusalem. I mean, it was exciting. They were a part of the church of the living God. And this is the only time, only time in Scripture that I find that your local church is your universal church at the same time. That the universal church and the local church were located in the same place. They were located in the city of Jerusalem. So, the dispersion did not want to go back to their lands. So you've got thousands of people here. And at this point, you know, probably 8, 10, 12,000 people have been filled with the Holy Ghost. So, I mean, Jerusalem's not very big. So you've got a beehive of believers in the church. And so it has created a problem. And the problem is, where are all these people going to stay? If they don't want to go back home uh, where they're from, where are they going to stay? Where are you going to put all these people? Where are they going to sleep? You know, what are they going to eat? And not only that, but on top of that, if you were a local Jew in Jerusalem, if you became a believer in Jesus Christ, they would have immediately put you out of the synagogue of the Jews. And you would have been disposed of your possessions by your family members. They would have basically stated that you were a dead person Because they believed that you, at that time, they would have believed, if they weren't believers in Jesus, that you were following a false God. So they would have put you out of your house, you would have lost your job, you would have been dispossessed and disowned, so therefore you would have been out on the streets and you would have been starving to death. So this is the background here, all of these people, what are you going to do with them, how are you going to feed them, where are they going to sleep? So the Spirit of the Lord began to move on the hearts of people here and they began to bring their funds together. The Bible says they sold their possessions and they brought the money of those possessions and they laid it at the apostles' feet, which simply means they put it in the apostles' care to determine who would receive what and how much. They left it to the discretion of the apostles. So they laid at the apostles' feet. And this is the approach that they took uh, to take care of that immediate crisis that was there in the land. Are you all with me today? Amen. As I said, this was something that was only temporary and it was only um, for the crisis at hand. It wasn't something that was carried on. In fact, the tense, the tense of the text, when you read the tense of the text... It, it's, it basically is saying what they used to do. So it wasn't something that was to be carried on. All right. And I will say this also, that I do not believe that the apostles were mistaken when these people were bringing this substance, these offerings, voluntarily from their heart and giving them to the apostles to distribute the funds. I do not believe that, that uh, the apostles were in a mistake here. I do not believe that the early church was out of the will of God here. I'm just telling you that it was only a temporary thing for that moment in time. It was never carried on any further. And for sure, it was not a man-made socialism. And for sure, it was not a man-made communism. That is not biblical. In fact, God was so careful about And so wanted people to have their own possession, to have their own land and to have their own houses that in the Old Testament, he set up a time called the year of Jubilee, that if you had to sell property in order to pay debt, that in the year of Jubilee, the 50th year, your possessions would be returned back to you. So it is God's will for you to have your own property, to have your own possessions, to have your own home. That isn't something that is important to God. Socialism and communism is not supported in the Bible. Either political socialism or religious socialism is not supported in the Bible. Are you with me today? So anytime you have a government system trying to impose its will to take from the rich to give to the poor or trying to have the churches or the ministers preach to the churches telling them to support socialism or communism, then you have something that is in a violation to the Word of God. This occurrence here where they had all things common was not again a man-made socialism. This was coming from a heart of love. These people were filled with the Spirit of God and this was an expression and an outflow of their love for each other and for the community of believers. It was only temporary. It ended with the persecution of Saul. It was not carried on any further after that. During the days of the persecution of Saul, the Bible tells us what happened, that these people who were trying to stay in Jerusalem ended up going throughout the world to preach the gospel. That was the immediate plans of God anyway, is that this gospel be preached to the whole world. That the church would not stay in Jerusalem there and just wait and keep what they've got. The will of God was for them to go throughout the world to preach the gospel. And it took the persecution of Saul to get them out of Jerusalem. And so the persecution of Saul brought an end to this communal type living and set up that they entered into. So it was only a temporary thing. Are you all with me right now? Do you understand what I'm trying to explain to you? Can you imagine a communistic leader going to the Word of God and saying that we have support from the Bible for our communistic belief? Are you hearing me today? You need to catch what I'm telling you because we live in an hour that you need to hear this. Okay? God did not uh, support Stalin. He did not support communism. He didn't support socialism. This again was something that was coming from the hearts of the people. It was voluntary. It wasn't compulsory. It wasn't even the leadership of the church. The Bible doesn't tell us that they told the church you have to sell your house. The apostles didn't look at that congregation and said, you have to sell your land. They didn't look at that congregation and say, you have to sell your property. They didn't tell that congregation, after you sold your land and your property, you must bring it all to the church. The apostles never said that. This was an outflow of love and expression and possibly the apostles say, you know, it would be good if we helped these people who are in need here. Some of them are starving. They've been put out of their houses Maybe that was their approach, if you would like to give. The point is, it was completely voluntary. It was not compulsory. It wasn't put on them. It wasn't forced on them. It wasn't required for them to be in the fellowship. For them to sell everything they got and give it to the church. Okay? So I've got to get that taken care of. And now later on in history, well, they will try it once again after the persecution of Saul... They were tried again in the time of the Thessalonians. They're all waiting around for the coming of the Lord in that chapter in that book of Thessalonians, and they think that they've missed the rapture of the church, you know, etc. so, anyway, to make a long story short, uh, some of them thinking that the Lord is going to come soon or whatever, and then some of them thought they had missed the rapture of the church. The ones who thought the Lord was coming soon began to quit working. Well, Jesus is coming soon, so why keep working? Okay? We'll just uh, rely upon the church to take care of us. You know, why keep working? If Jesus begins to come back, let's put on our white garments and let's go sit on top of our houses and let's wait for the Lord to come and, and let's don't work anymore. And Paul had to correct that. Do you understand? So if you go to 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, <clears throat> this was a problem that <clears throat> the Thessalonian church picked up later. And as I said, there's it's perfectly appropriate and perfectly powerful for you to be led by God, led by the Spirit of the Lord, to help those in the body of Christ, amen, in a charitable way. Nothing wrong with that. But it must be led by the Spirit of God. And we are often led by the Spirit of God to help people in situations, okay, in this. So we know what that's all about. But I'm talking about trying to set up a communal system for the church let me tell you something that would not be easy to do some of you some of us can't get along and we only see each other a couple of times a week much less trying to live with each other you understand what i'm trying to tell you so there were problems not not necessarily with their charity and not necessarily with uh, with the spirit that was driving it or motivating it okay there were problems that came out of that because of people and we're going to see those problems but 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, let's go over there. And let's see here, the Bible says in what uh, Paul said. The Bible says in verse 10 of of uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So he straightens this out. The Apostle Paul straightens this out because evidently, according to the Word of God, people are quitting their jobs. And they were busybodies. They were looking for somebody else to take care of them. So Paul commanded them to get a job and go to work. So this idea where you have a socialistic program or a, uh, socialism where you take from one and give to another, you know, was not something that was carried on. It was only temporary. Amen. Because of the present crisis they were in. Say Hallelujah. And it was a powerful thing. And it was of the Spirit for a moment in time. But they were staying in Jerusalem, not spreading the Gospel, which was not correct. And the Apostle Paul's persecution gets them out and breaks that whole system out. Uh, So do you see where I'm going here? It was not a man-made socialism. Uh, It was something that was coming from the hearts of the people. Say praise the Lord. And it was powerful. It was powerful. It was a good thing. Okay? So let's go to chapter 4 then. And we have the reference here again, giving you the background of the crisis, why this was going on. It was never something that was set up in the Bible for us to try to do. Okay? Say amen. Let's look in then again the 4th chapter in verse 32. It said, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Praise God. We've already found out this church was a church of one accord. They had one heart and one soul. They had one spirit and they had one emotion. Okay? They were united together, body, soul, and spirit. Which was normal for a Christian. And also, it would be normal for a Christian, not only in that, that time, but in this time, To know that everything you have belongs to God. That's normal Christianity. That if any time God said to you, sell your land and give it to me. At any time God said, sell your house and give it to me. That's a different story. Because it is normal Christianity to understand that everything you have is at His disposal. Because you know everything He has is at yours. Did you catch that? That's normal Christianity. So the Spirit of God moving on these people's heart at this time, it was a normal thing if God said to them. not It wasn't the leadership that was saying it, it was if God said it to them. And so it was a normal thing. This was normal Christianity. It's still normal Christianity today to know that everything you and I have is God's. It belongs to God. Say amen. Say normal Christianity. normal Christianity. So the Bible says in verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, one soul. So there's unity in this body. And the Bible says, Neither said any of them that ought the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Say common. common. Koinonia. The, at this time it's an abbreviated form, Corne. But it's rooted in the same thing, koinonia. Distribution, contribution, participation, partnership, fellowship, distribution. Are you all with me? Amen. That's what that word means. So they had it all common. Now, so at this time in the early church, they were saying, well, what's mine is yours. Okay? What's yours is mine. Had everything common, right? All right, so we got the background here. And the Bible says in verse 33... And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So there's great power in the church to witness concerning the resurrected Christ. And then the Bible says great grace was upon them all. Well, you can see this because of their love for each other and their desire to care for each other and their desire to help each other. This was a grace of the Spirit. Okay, It was coming from love. Say Hallelujah. The Bible says then, Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands, of houses, sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold. So clearly there was a need here, and the need was being taken care of by the body, by the church. Say praise the Lord. But again, this was never, never, never set up so that people could become irresponsible in their life. God's plan has never been to bring you into the church and leave you a dependent. It is not God's will for you to be dependent. You with me right now? It is God's will for you to get in the church and you may have needs when you first get in the church, but after a while, you ought to get on your own feet. You ought to be like that man that was by the gate beautiful who was asking for alms and got legs so he could stand on his own feet. Peter, you know, Peter says, Peter and John said, Silver silver, gold. Have I none?" It says, "I have." Give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What? You with me? He couldn't give him the gold and silver that he wanted. So what he did, he gave him a miracle. Jesus healed that man. Now he could go out and make a living for himself. That's the will of God. Is so that when you come in the church, you don't become more dependent. At some point, you get on your own feet, and you can be responsible with your life as the Apostle Paul commanded those who were just, you know, busybodies to go to work and get a job. Say praise the Lord, church. Oh, you know this, so I don't have to really get real heavy on this. Do I with you today? Or do I? I mean, you understand, don't you? Okay. Glad this morning. Maybe some of you don't like what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. It's all right. The Bible says, so anyway, verse 34, Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands and house sold them and brought the prices of things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. So they trusted the apostles to dis- distribute as the need arose to distribute according to their discernment and trusted them with it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we don't have any problem. We got unity here of the body. We got unity of the people in the church. We got uh, people in the church who trust the apostles that are there. And the apostles have given no reason why they shouldn't be trusted. Okay. So the Bible said they laid them down at the apostles feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now you've seen that happen before in this church. The Spirit of God will move in here sometimes and say, uh, receive an offering for so-and-so, for brother or sister, right? And we do that as the Lord leads us. So it's important that we be led by the Lord. We believe in that and we thank God for that. And some of you, many of you have been blessed this way. So the Bible goes on and says at this time, as they're bringing the contributions and laying them at the apostles' feet, verse 36, a man by the name of Joseph, his name in the Greek, or transliteration of the Greek, is Joseph. The Bible says Joseph, who by the apostle was surnamed Barnabas. In parentheses, which being interpreted, means the son of consolation or the son of comfort. It's kind of hard though to find. Now, that, that's the parentheses, okay, explanation. But really, the better translation is par, probably Bar uh, is son, Nabi or Nabus, which means uh, the son of prophecy. This man, when he spoke, spoke with a prophetic anointing on his life. And of course, when he spoke as a son of prophecy, then he also was a son of consolation. He would bring comfort and uh, exhortation to the body of Christ. And all through the Word of God, when you see in the book of Acts, Barnabas, he's always helping somebody. He's always encouraging somebody. If it wasn't for the apostle uh, for Barnabas, there would be no Apostle Paul. You with me? We'll see that as we go through the Word of God. So he was a great, great man. And the Bible says, uh, this Joseph, who by apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which we interpreted as the son of consolation, more literal, the son of prophecy. He's a Levite. Say a Levite. Levite. And a Levite had the potential to be trained to be a priest in the temple. Now what I want you to see is this, that a Levite owned land. He possessed land. And the second thing I want you to see is that when they brought the offering, they brought it to the apostles' feet. They did not bring it to the old temple. Nor did they bring it to the old priesthood. Because now God has a new temple And they're bringing it to this new ministry. You hear what I'm telling you, which would have been completely unheard of in Old Testament theology. Because in Old Testament theology, you were to bring your tithes and offerings to the temple. But we see here in the Word of God, we see them bringing their their offering, not the tithe here, the offering, a voluntary offering, to the apostles at a new house, not the temple. They're completely bypassing that. Say amen. Say so you're in the new covenant now. It's a new house. It's a new ministry. You're in a new covenant. It's a new priesthood. Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, whoa, this would be completely unheard of in Old Testament days. You understand what I'm trying to show you here? Okay? Little, just trying to bring these little things out to you. So he's a Levite. And he's from the country of Cyprus, Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought it the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So now this man, Joseph, the son of consolation, we'll just stick with what the Bible says here. He sells his property over there in Cyprus and he brings this money from the property that he sold, which was his own possession, and he lays it at the apostles' feet and evidently, it must have been substantial. It must have been very large. It must have really got your attention. Did you see what Barnabas gave in church yesterday? Well, that wasn't his motive. His motive wasn't you know, so he could be seen, but it was known. It was, a, it was notable. It was known. The apostles knew it. The church knew that he sold that land. The church knew that He brought that offering and laid it at the apostles' feet. The church knew it. And the apostle knew that He had given. And they knew that He had sold the land. And evidently, I don't know if they knew the dollar amount, but they knew it was substantial. Because it even got recognition in the Word of God. God recognized what this man had done. God recorded it in the Bible that He had sold that land. God Himself recorded that this man brought this money from that selling to the apostles' feet. So there's nothing wrong with necessarily knowing that somebody's done something in the kingdom of God like this. It's recorded in the Word of God, Holy Scripture. His motive wasn't to be seen though. His motive wasn't to be recognized. But it came with his commitment to God. It was noticed. It was a notable thing. And so people noticed They noticed the notoriety. They noticed the recognition that Barnabas got when he sold that land. Are y'all with me? And there's a couple of them there. It was named Ananias and Sapphira. They noticed the notoriety that this man had received and it was like, hmm, everybody's talking about Barnabas. And that's okay. Okay. That wasn't his motive. Did you see how much Barnabas gave yesterday in church? Wow. We can eat on that for a month. What he brought will feed the whole church for a month. Did you see what Barnabas did? And so there's a couple of people in the church named Ananias and Sapphira. They they kind of wanted, they didn't kind of, they wanted that recognition. They wanted that notoriety. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be recognized. And so the Bible tells us that with this in the background, coming from a heart of love for God, and they're giving and taking care of each other and selling land and bringing the proceeds to the apostles' feet so it can be distributed as they saw fit. We see in this background of a heart of love, We see a heart of selfishness. Because what will motivate Ananias and Sapphira is not a love for God or a love for the church. What will motivate Ananias and Sapphira is a love for themselves. So the Bible tells us about these two. And I will tell you, as we get into the word of the Lord, before I actually talk about them, I will tell you evidently number one, the Bible tells us they sold a piece of land. They didn't sell everything they had. They just sold a piece of land. Okay? Number two, and I'm going to show you by the Word of God, they had pledged it to the Lord. Every bit of it. They had made a vow to God that they would sell this land and bring the whole proceeds of that sale to the church and they will embezzle it. You cannot embezzle your own possession. The word embezzle means that you take what does not belong to you for yourself. And I'll prove by the Word of God today that they didn't just take a piece of land and sell it and decide overnight, well, we're not going to give it all, we're just going to give it apart. I will prove by the Word of God to you today that these people, when they sold that land, had already made a commitment to give every bit of the proceeds to the church. Okay? And they will embezzle it. They will make a commitment that they will do something and not follow through with it. Very serious. It will be a betrayal of the church, and it will be a lying on God. That takes place here. So this certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, Ananias means God is gracious. Well, he's going to need all the grace he can get before this is all over. His name means God is gracious. Ananias, his wife's name, Sapphira, means the beautiful one. God is gracious and beautiful. The Bible tells us that these two, Ananias and Sapphira, His wife. They sold the possession. But they kept back of the price, his wife also being privy, and brought a certain part and laid at the apostles' feet. Where it says there, they kept back part of the the price, that literally means they embezzled it. This is something a lot of people don't know about this part of the Word of God. They do not understand the word here, kept back part of the price, that it means they embezzled it, which means they took what did not belong to them for themselves. If it was their land at one time to do whatever they wanted to do with it, and it was their possession, and the apostles did not tell them to sell it, it was a voluntary thing. If it was their land, and the Bible says they kept back part of the price... The word meaning in the Greek embezzled it, that means they had committed that to God and changed their mind. But decided to lie about it. Say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now it's a very serious thing. You know, it's one thing to, to have a possession and sell the land and and then after you sell the land, just said, okay, we're gonna give a portion of it to the Lord, right? It's another thing altogether. It's a totally different matter for you to say that when you sell that land, every bit of that price is going to be given to the church and we pledge that to the church. We make a vow that that belongs to the church and then after you have made that commitment, after you've made that vow, and after you've made that pledge, then to renege on that. That's what it means when they kept back part of the price. They reneged on their commitment. They did not follow through with their pledge. So all of us, and I come to the house of the Lord today and I come to you with fear and trembling. Because once you make a commitment or a vow to God that you're going to do something, you pledge something to the Lord. And if you try to hold on to it and it doesn't belong to you, especially when it pertains to the church, you're an embezzler. Because you're taking what doesn't belong to you and holding on to it. Once it was committed, once they committed it to God, it no longer belonged to them. Once they made a vow to God and pledged it to the church, it no longer belonged to them. It belonged to God. And for them to not go through with that commitment was a very, very serious thing. It disrupted and it betrayed the whole church of the living God. In America, we live in a time where the church is so religious it doesn't understand holiness. The title of my message this morning will be The Holiness of the Church. The Holiness of the Church. We live in a time today where people are so religious that they think they can just make a commitment or a pledge or a vow to God and not keep it. No problem. Just because you didn't drop over dead doesn't mean you didn't deserve to. You held on to something that belonged to God, and you didn't follow through with that commitment, just because you didn't drop dead doesn't mean you didn't deserve to. Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the Bible. This is New Testament, by the way. The New Testament church. So he kept. they kept that part, and Ananias and Sapphira, they had got together, that they sold the property, you know, uh, they talked it over, and... Well, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to appear like we're going to put on a mask. Because we want everybody to recognize us. We want everybody to see us. You know, We want the notoriety that Barnabas got. We want the recognition that Barnabas got. Okay? And the spirit behind them is the spirit of Phariseeism. The Pharisees, when they gave, they gave to be seen. They gave to be recognized. When they dropped their monies, their money there in the temple precincts, the trumpets would sound loud and you would hear the money hit the bottom of the of the offering plates and it'd make a lot of noise if you gave a whole lot, you know, and the whole thing was about how much noise you could make with, depending on how much you gave. And the trumpet sounded loud depending on how much you gave, the louder the more you gave, the louder the trumpet. So the Pharisees, this was their hypocrisy. The hypocrisy of their religion was to give so that they could be seen of men. To fast so they could be seen of men. And if this is allowed to go on in the church, it will destroy the church within ten years. The church will become just another Pharisaical, hypocritical sect of religion and God knew it. So the spirit behind them is a pharisaical spirit. So Ananias and Sapphira get together and they talk it over about what they're going to do. And the Bible tells us they kept back part of the, the price, embezzlement, decided to embezzle it. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet, right? Ananias walks in. I'm not sure exactly when they brought the offering. The Bible says they laid it at the apostles' feet. I'm not sure when it was brought, but I can tell you Ananias walks in the door. He goes to church that day. And the scripture tells us as he goes to church, Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan? First time Satan is mentioned in connection to the New Testament church. You will have some first in this Bible, in this portion of Scripture, you'll have the first time Satan is mentioned and you'll have the first time the word church is mentioned. Ecclesia. The first time these are mentioned. Satan had tried to destroy the church through the Sanhedrin court, the Sadducees. He threw them in prison, remember? He did not succeed. They let them go and they went to their own company and they started praying. The place was shaking, right? You remember we preached that. So Satan had already tried to destroy the church by persecution. He could not succeed by destroying it from the outside. So what he did was he came in the inside of the church. The world is not going to destroy the church. What destroys the church is somebody from within the church. So because Satan couldn't destroy the church from the outside by persecution, he now enters into the the church through a man and woman by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. He's just like Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Ananias and Sapphira. Achan got together and they decided, he and his wife and his older children, that they were going to keep apart I keep a Babylonian garment and some gold and some silver in his tent. When Jericho, everything that was in Jericho belonged to God. It was the first fruits to God. It all belonged to God. But they decided to take that which was devoted to God, just like Ananias and Sapphira. Take that which was devoted to God and put it in their tent. And the Bible says there was judgment that took place. And they took Achan his wife and his children and they burned them out. They stoned them to death and then burned them. Because they tried to hold on to that which was devoted to God. It was an accursed thing for them to do that. So the same thing in the days of, of Joshua is what you see in this chapter. They're trying to hold on to something that's devoted to God. It's real similar to offering strange fire to God that Nadab and Abihu did in Leviticus chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu thought, well, maybe we can concoct our own incense. All right, come on, come on. You know, we know our daddy. We know the incense that he, he puts together over here. And we know, we know that incense. But we're going to see if we can pull one over on God. We're going to see if we can trick our father, the high priest. And we're going to see if we can trick God here. And they concocted an incense that was an unauthorized worship And when they went to offer that incense to God, the fire from God hit them and killed them instantly. Burned them just like that. Burned them to a crisp. And they went and they took those two sons, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of the priests who had concocted that false incense. They took them in their own tunics and buried them. And God said to the high priest, don't shed one tear for them. They offered strange fire to me. They offered an unauthorized worship to me. And so God, listen, this is very important. God is showing you by Old Testament picture. He's a holy God. And don't play with God. You don't play with the things of God. You don't play play with things that are devoted to God. Because if you do, you might not be dead right now. But what it's saying to you is that you deserve it. And so now we have a high priest of Leviticus chapter 10 who's lost two of his boys and can't even cry, cannot cry over them because they concocted a strange fire to God. And throughout the Old Testament you will see the righteous indignation of God, the fiery holiness of God coming like in the days of Achan and in the days of Nadab and Abihu, manifesting his power in divine judgment against this sin, you will see in the time of the kings, we preached the time of the kings, how there were, there were people who stood up, who tested God, who tempted God. Even Israel in the wilderness tested God, tempted God, and were destroyed in the wilderness because they tested God or tempted God. See how far they could go before God would do something about their sin. Old Testament. All of that Old Testament is typological of what you will see here. In picture. Say, so, well, that was the God of the Old Testament. He doesn't do that anymore. Really? You're in the New Testament church, you're in the age of grace, and you have the first instance of divine judgment in the church, in the time of grace. It wasn't because Peter was angry, and it wasn't because Peter was filled with malice. It was about the holiness of God. And when this happens, the church does not criticize Peter. Unlike the church today. Church discipline administered in the house of God today will oftentimes bring the criticism from the membership on the pastor. But it didn't happen that day in that church. There was no, there was unity in that church and there was no division and there was no criticism for Peter for what he did because these people were holy. These people were pure. But there was trouble in the church. So even in this early church, as powerful as it was, there's trouble within the church. So the Bible tells us this man and wife got together and they talked it over and they decided, you know, hey, you know that commitment we made, that pledge to God that we made, we're not going to go through with that. We'll just we'll act like we did. We'll put on the mask that we did. We'll, we'll play the hypocrite. Now, I want to tell you this. Listen very carefully me, church. I love you with all my heart. Jesus said this to the religious hypocrites of his day. He said, the harlots enter in the kingdom before you do. That doesn't mean that they can continue in harlotry. But the harlots would repent of their sin and come to the kingdom. You know, what I'm trying to show you is that oftentimes Jesus, when He was dealing with sin in relationship to the world, you know He didn't just kill these people in the world that were in sin. He said, they're going to come to the kingdom of God before you do because you're a religious hypocrites. They will know their need of me. But watch this, the wrath of God, where does it fall? It falls, the judgment of God begins at the house of God, First Peter 4. It says, the judgment of God must begin at the house of God. That's where His judgment begins, at the house of God. Where did He pour out His anger? Where Where was His wrath seen? Was it on the harlot in the world? No, it was on the hypocrites that were in the church. And God is saying immediately and instantly, no phonies allowed. Absolutely no phonies allowed. And just because we don't see people dropping dead in the churches of America doesn't mean that they don't deserve to drop dead. God's anger and God's wrath against religious hypocrisy is still the same today. To try to put on a mask, to try to appear as something that you're not, or to try to hold on to something that does not belong to you that belongs to the church. That which is devoted. Okay, look at it. So Ananias comes in. Why hath Satan? You see, up to this point, we we've, we've talked about the church, how the church is full of the spirit of God, and and how they have one, they've got one heart and one soul, you know, and they've got they're in one accord. There's unity in the house. The power and the grace of God is on them all, and then all of a sudden. We have Satan going to church. The religious activity of this man and woman is the devil incarnate. I'll say it again. The religious activity of Ananias and Sapphira is the devil incarnate. And their piety is the devil in manifestation. So Ananias walks into church and Peter the Apostle is there and God gives Peter a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. The word of knowledge. Listen, this is interesting. See, nobody else in the world knows about this except Ananias and Sapphira. They're the only ones that know about the lie. They're the only ones that know about the hypocrisy. Nobody else knows about it but those two. But there's fixing to be a third that's going to know about it. And this is the Apostle Peter. Now how did he know it? It was a supernatural impartation of a part of the omniscience of God. Because God knows everything. He's omniscient. So what God did this man being filled with the Spirit of God, God gave him a part of his omniscience and put it in the conscience of Peter so that Peter, it wasn't a hunch that he had. It wasn't something he thought might be. It wasn't a hunch that he had. He wasn't, you know, just suspicious. He knew that he knew that he knew that they had lied. And it wasn't because any person, human being, told him. It came from the omniscient presence of God that was in him. God downloading a part of His omniscience, His all-knowing, into Peter's conscience. And revealed to Peter what these two had done. And then God gives him not only a word of knowledge, but a word of wisdom. What to do with this? we got to stop this now. God, God's going to stop this now because it can't go on. It cannot continue because the church is at stake. The church is at stake. The church will be destroyed if this spirit is allowed to run through the body of Christ. If this hypocritical spirit is able to run through the body of Christ. If this phony thing is able to get a hold of the church, it will destroy the church. So he had a word of knowledge that they had done this and he had a word of wisdom. It was going to end. And then you have the omnipotence of God. Omniscience, knowing, the omnipresence of God. God was there when they got together and talked about it. He was there when Ananias and Sapphira sat down at their table and discussed this and where they came into a spirit of agreement to lie. A spirit of agreement to deceive. A spirit of agreement to sin against God. But the spirit of the Lord was there when they entered into that spirit of agreement to lie on the spirit of God or to lie Satan was there. Satan was in that conversation. Satan put in their minds these thoughts. Satan filled their hearts to lie to the Holy Ghost. Satan was the one that was behind it. And they yielded their minds. And they yielded their will. And they yielded their humanity to the plan and purpose of the devil. And God, when they sat down to discuss this, God heard what they were saying because He's omnipresent. He was right there. He heard what they said. He knew what they were going to do. But He's also the omnipotent God who has power. He will release His power and He will destroy this. So when the man comes in, Ananias by name, he's not somebody that's in the world coming to visit church, the church. This man is a believer who has yielded his self to the devil. This man is a believer who's yielded his mind to the devil. This man, with the agreement of his wife, has decided to betray the church and deny the Spirit of God. And when he walks into church, Peter looks at him and says, with a word of knowledge, and Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? When you betrayed the church of the living God. You lied to the Holy Ghost. You need to catch this. See, there's a lot of people who think they can treat the church however they want to treat the church, but it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with God. What this passage will show you is the way you treat the church is the way you treat God. And for them to not fulfill their pledge... For them to not go through with their commitment and to lie that they and say that they did was not just affecting the body, it was an affront to God Himself. So we as a church really need to hear this today that what a person does to the church is what they do to the Lord. They were in the church. They were believers. They back. He were believers. Achan came out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. These were not people from the world coming in, guests that the, the, the weren't born again believers coming in the church. These people were part of the body of Christ who yielded their humanity to, the, to Satan. And Satan... Will look for a person in the church or a couple in the church that he can sow, sow his thoughts and sow his will into that will yield their humanity to his purpose and disrupt the body of Christ. And just because they got somebody agreeing with them, and just because they got somebody supporting them does not mean they're right with God. What they have is the spirit of agreement to lie. The spirit of agreement to disrupt the body. And in doing that, touching God. Because you cannot separate God from His body. Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You know right then, shock must have got a hold of that man. How could you know that, Peter? Well, <laughs> he knew God was in the man then. I said he knew God was in the man then. He says, Satan, Satan has filled your heart. You should be filled with the Holy Ghost. You should be yielding your humanity, humanity, to the will and purpose of God. But you have yielded your humanity to the will of Satan. It can happen to any one of us. You've lied to the Holy Ghost and kept back part of the price of the land. You've embezzled. But you didn't lie to Peter. Only you lied to God. When you lied to the church, when you lied to the apostles... You didn't just lie to the church and you didn't just lie to the apostles. You lied to God. And Satan put it in your heart, Peter said. Satan. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? He wasn't, Listen, I want you to catch the background of this. He wasn't just lying on the Holy Ghost. He was denying the presence of God in their midst. The Greek means he falsified the Spirit. What he was saying by his actions and by her actions was, we don't believe the Spirit of God is in the church. When they said, we don't believe the Spirit of God is in the church. When they lied to the Holy Ghost, they falsified the Spirit. When they said that, that was an affront to God Almighty. You aren't just touching the body of Christ. You were an affront to God Almighty and you had the spirit of agreement and Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost or to falsify the spirit of God in that church. Or that literally means to say God is not there. The Bible says as soon as this word comes out of the mouth of Peter, he said, while it remained, was it not thine own? It belonged to you. Nobody told you that you had to do it. And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied to men, but unto God. Why have you conceived this in your heart? He said, it was your land. It was your possession. Do whatever you wanted to do with it. But I'm telling you as a result of some kind of commitment that he made, the Bible says he kept back part of it. That means he embezzled it. To embezzle means you take something that doesn't belong to you. So at some point it became a devoted thing. But God and Peter wants you to know it's not something that was being forced on the church. This was a voluntary offering. Right, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. It wasn't a man-made socialism. It wasn't even a God-made socialism. It was a voluntary thing. He said, You've not lied to men, but unto God. You have, by your actions, by your yielding of your humanity, lied unto God. You have said, by your actions, that you do not believe, that the Spirit of the Lord is in this community of believers. And the Bible says, and Ananias hearing these words fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all of them that heard these things. Instantly. Isn't the church? Isn't the church a place of redemption? Isn't the church a place of restoration? Where is this man's opportunity to repent and be redeemed? Where is this man's opportunity to be restored in fellowship? None given. Boom, he's dead. And it didn't happen because Peter cursed him. And it didn't happen because Peter killed him. God, listen to me the Spirit of God by a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom, He told Peter what was going on. And by wisdom, Peter knew that this has to end now. But it's God who executed the punishment. Do you catch what I'm telling you? It was God who executed the punishment. God who... Oh God, the gentle Jesus... This God coming with wrath. This God coming with anger. Right in that church. Because without the purity of the church, you have no power. And depending on the purity of the church, that determines how powerful the church. The church must be holy and the church must be pure. And God is showing you in this passage that one of the works of the Spirit of the living God is to purify. One of the works of the Spirit of God is to cleanse. One of the works of the the Holy Ghost is to purge from our midst the phonies, the hypocrites, those that want to put on a mask. That is a work of the Spirit of the living God. And so here you have two attributes of God in operation. His love and His holiness. Both of them. It wasn't because Peter was a murderer. And it wasn't because Peter was full of malice. And it wasn't because Peter refused to be reconciled. That's a bunch of foolishness. These people had crossed an irrevocable line. They had sinned a sin unto death. They had crossed a line, if I understand the Scripture correctly, lying to the Spirit of God brought immediate death. This was a sin of presumption, not a sin of ignorance. They knew what they were doing when they did it. They planned it together. They sat down and talked about it together. It wasn't ignorance. It was a sin of presumption. And there was no forgiveness of sin for the sin of presumption. They knew what they were doing. There was no ignorance with it. And so they had crossed the line. It seems to me at this point that there was no place for forgiveness. It was irrevocable their actions. Irrevocable. No opportunity to repent. You cross the line. And so, this is very interesting to me. So, well, You know, the church is the mother of us all. And the mother of us all, you know, should always have its arms open to Everybody. The church is not just the mother of us all with its arms open wide. The church is a holy church. In Isaiah 33, here's what the Lord said. The prophet Isaiah. I want you to understand this. He said in verse 14 of Isaiah 33, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burning? He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly. He that despiseth the gain of oppression, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, and that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil, who's going to, be able to stand in the atmosphere of God's burning and His devouring fire? It's the righteous. There is a spirit of burning and a devouring fire. It has hit the church. And I will tell you today, before it's all over, there must be a restoration of the miracle of divine judgment in the church for the church to ever become what it should become. You must see this again. You must see this holy, purifying, fire, fiery God. Move in the assembly and you will. You will. I told you months and months ago, God is going to re- uncover the hypocrisy in mega churches. I told you long ago, and I'm not pointing the finger at anything or anybody right now, I'm just telling you that before it's all over, you will see the spirits of burning and the devouring fire move in the church once again in a purging and purifying way because this is a work of the Holy Ghost as well. To purge from our midst and to purify and to cleanse us and to make absolutely sure that we are not phonies in the church. So let the hypocrites tremble in fear. The sinners in Zion be filled with fear. If you're not a hypocrite and you're not a sinner in Zion, you don't have to worry about it. You can be filled with God. You can just go and say, I'm not afraid right now because I, you know. I, I'm not a hypocrite. Thank you, Jesus. But the spirit of burning and the devouring fire came into the church of the living God. You need to get it, church. I love you, but every one of you need to get this burning fire in you. You need to get a zeal for God on the inside of you. A zeal for the purity and holiness of God Almighty instead of walking around and looking for a way to condone or cover sin. Let me tell you something. There are undetected sins in the churches of America. All over this nation. Undetected sins that will be detected by the burning and fire of God's Spirit. He's going to purify His church before it's all over. If that church is to be a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, there must be the purifying, purging, power move of God's holiness manifested in His church. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. The sin was not that they owned anything. The sin was not that they possessed things. There was no sin in that. The sin is saying you did one thing and didn't. Hypocrisy and lying on the Spirit of God. And the grace of God hearing these words fell down. Ananias fell down. His name meant grace of God. Let me tell you something. He had plenty of grace. The Holy Ghost began to deal with... The Holy Ghost dealt with him and his wife. The Spirit of God dealt with him and this wife. When Satan was getting to his humanity, when they were in the spirit of agreement to deceive, the Holy Ghost was dealing with them. The Holy Ghost was talking to them. You know, you didn't do it ignorantly. You know, you sinned against God and... He fell down immediately, church. God could not allow that hypocrisy to continue in the church. It would have destroyed the church. You might not want to hear it, but I'm still going to preach this Word of God. And I'm in the New Testament, by the way. The strange style, unauthorized worship, is not acceptable to God. And I'm just telling you today, can you imagine right now if God stepped into every church of America and did in every church in America what He did on that day, how many people would fall drop dead right there? Undetected sin in their life. How many? Oh, it'd put a lot of churches completely out of business. Because those hypocrites in the church are paying their the payments, and it'd put those churches out of business if that were to happen. So the wholeness of the church, the purity of the church, the power of the church. And when this happened, brothers and sisters, it was not to show you the weakness of that church. When this happened, it showed you the power of that New Testament church. That it was pure. That it was holy. there was trouble in the church. It also, Luke is writing this to Theophilus to let him know that when problems like this come up in the church, the church will deal with it Instantly. The church knows how to handle problems and the church will deal with trouble like this. Theophilus. If he was worried about what somebody thought about the church concerning this event, he would not have written to Theophilus and put that in the Bible. He's showing Theophilus how strong that church was He's showing that church not, showing Theophilus the church is not weak, but it's powerful. And the church can deal with, and the church has discipline in it, and God comes into that church, and He brings a divine discipline, and He purchased by fire. For some, His presence means hell. For others, His presence means healing and salvation. It depends on the person. The church here is strong. The church is powerful. This early New Testament church is a holy church. And God refused to let hypocrisy get in it. It's not just an excommunication. It's a death on the spot. The Bible says in the prophets, the Lord will slay the wicked with the breath of His mouth. standing at the altar. Ananias is standing at the altar. The Spirit of God and hypocrisy And lies cannot stand at the same altar. Ananias has to go or the Holy Ghost has to go. You can't have both of them there. And the Holy Ghost says, Ananias is gone. How many people in the church today go and stand and they're full of lies and full of deceit? And they stand there speaking in tongues. The Lord is saying, at the altar of God, the hypocrite, the liar, cannot stand in the same place as the Holy Ghost. So God said, I'll remove the hypocrite. The Bible says, Great fear came on all of them that heard these things. They heard what had happened in the service. They were afraid, church. I would be too. They were afraid. Listen, it wasn't just reverential awe of God. It was that, but it was much more than that. They were afraid for their lives. And I'd reiterate to you that Peter didn't call a curse down on the man, that Peter didn't kill the man. He delivered the Word of God and God executed the man. Fear gripped that church. Fear gripped the body. It it gripped the people in the church. It gripped people outside of the church. It got their attention. You don't play with this God. You don't play church with that people. If you want to be a part of that group, you can't be a hypocrite. They got the message real quick. If you want to be a part of that group, you cannot be a hypocrite. They got the message. And God gave the message to them. Great fear came on all them that heard these things and the young men arose, wound him up and carried him out and buried him they do not announce to the family members, He's dead. They don't even tell His wife He's dead. They don't invite the wife to the funeral because there was no funeral. This is what happens to a person in the church who's a hypocrite, who's been cursed by God. Deuteronomy says that a person who has the curse of God come upon them must be buried the same day of their death. And I'm not telling you today that in that culture they didn't bury everybody the same day, but I'm telling you though that the fact that they got this man up, wrapped him up, and took him and threw him in a hole the same day is a fulfillment of Deuteronomy passage that you have to bury the cursed man the same day. No funeral for this kind. No announcement even to the wife that the man's dead. Don't call in the relatives for the service. They took him straight from the church house, dead by God, out to a hole, a sepulcher, and buried him. They wrapped him up. And they came back to church. That's it. No announcements. No funeral. This kind deserves no funeral. About three hours later, Sapphira, she's probably getting a little nervous. My husband went to church and it's been three hours, and where is he? What's happened to him? I better go check on my husband. Husband, I'm worried about him. Well, I would say this: you know, it's not a good thing to be three hours late to church. They must have been Pentecostals. Ah. three hours (coughs) have gone by and Sapphira makes her way to the church house. This will show you the equality of women with men in the church. Not in the area of authority but in the area of responsibility. She should have looked at the man and said I have no part of this. I do not agree with you. But she was privy to it and she agreed together with him. It was a spirit of agreement. Three hours after her husband's dead in the grave. She doesn't know it. She goes to church and nobody in church has told her what's happened. She doesn't know what's happened. The Bible tells us that. Nobody knows. Except Peter and the guys who just buried the husband and God. The Scripture says... Three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Didn't know what was was done. Didn't know her husband was dead. Man. What happened to your husband? He went to church today and he died. God killed him. I wonder how many people have died prematurely that Unless you had discernment from God, you would not have known that there was sin in that life that brought it about. She didn't know, and she walks in. And are y'all with me today? After when he is not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her. Mutual opportunity. Mutual responsibility. They're in it together. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sow the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? You have put God to the test. You, you were seeing how, God, how far you could push God before God would step in. You tested God. That woman, as soon as Peter asked her the question, did you sell it for so much? That woman should have said, yes, Peter, praise God, yes, and I'm going to get the money, and I repent, I'm, I'm sorry. No. She was with her husband in the lie. Now she lies. And test the Spirit of God. Word of knowledge. How is it that you've agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. Joseph had brought his contribution and laid it at the apostles' feet. She's dead before their feet. He doesn't call down the curse. He doesn't call down the death. God executes it, but He says it this way. He said, the feet of them that buried your husband are at the door and she'll carry you out. And as soon as he said it, those young men make their way back to church. She falls down dead. He pronounced the judgment, but he did not execute the judgment. God did. And so now we have Ananias and Sapphira the grace of God and the beautiful one who lived together, slept together, ate together, went to church together, died together, was buried together, and if they went to hell, went to hell together. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Literally, it literally means they buried them face to face. Instantly. God dealt with it. The spirit of burning and the devouring fire is in the church. Living God, His presence, friend, that was bringing healing and unity and powerful victory and salvation in the church. That same presence of God brought death in the church. I repeat myself, the presence of God to many will mean hell. And the presence of God for others will mean salvation. It's still the presence of God. Be careful about the spirit of hypocrisy. Be careful about yielding your mind, your will, and your emotions to Satan. He wants to use anybody he can. To destroy the church, be careful about yielding to the spirit of agreement. We're going to agree to lie. We're going to agree to deceive. We're going to agree to sin. Spirit of agreement. People in the church, the living God, have entered into these types of things. They're gonna. We we'll just get together. We we'll just agree. God's not in that church. You lie on the Holy Ghost. You lie on the Spirit of God. You know God's in that church. But you, listen, can I, you know this is true. People will do anything for attention. Anything. They will rebel. They will lie. They will kill you to get attention. They'll stand off a whole police force to get attention. Don't think it's different in the church. People will lie on a church to get attention. They will lie to get their way They got the Spirit that was operating in Ananias and Sapphira. It's a dangerous thing. The church is holy. The church is pure. And I thank God for it. Have we ever, any of us ever, been a hypocrite? Have any of us here ever made commitments and vows to God that we didn't keep? Did any of us here ever say that we brought something we didn't bring? Or pledged something that we never gave? Have any of us ever made commitments that we would do something in the church? And I'm not saying you lied on God, but I'm going to tell you something. If you disrupt that body, you're touching God. With hypocrisy or sin, you're touching God. And God takes it very, very serious, as you see. Well, I said I'd do it, but. Ah, nobody's going to miss it yes they did I just do what I want to do be careful remember Wednesday night we talked to you about a man by the name of Uzziah how God blessed him as long as he sought the Lord and he got lifted up in pride and thought he could do whatever he wanted to do ignored the priest, the high priest and when the high priest corrected him, he didn't like correction. And Josephus said he's ready to kill him. Uzziah was ready to kill the high priest. Ignored the high priest. Ignored the word of God. He was ready to kill him because he confronted him. And the Bible says, leprosy hit him in the forehead. It was already in his heart. An unauthorized worship. What did he think? Well, I'm the king, I am do whatever I want to do. I don't have to Yeah, you, know, you better be careful. God hates sin. If you condone sin, if you agree with it, you are in big trouble. You better seek God and you better ask God to forgive you for condoning sin or agreeing with sin. I don't care what level it is. Because God is holy and His church must be holy and His church must be pure. So through judgment, the Bible says this is... Amazing to me. It says, in when they buried her with her husband, great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Well, you're not supposed to be fear in the church, says some. Charismatic! You shouldn't preach fear. You shouldn't preach judgment. Charismatic! What are you trying to hide? What are you trying to cover up? Listen, fear hit that church. Reverence, respect for God. First divine judgment in the church. Thank God for it. I, listen, I love you guys. I love y'all. I thank God for you. Because you're learning to walk reverence. With reverence. You're learning to walk with respect for the things of God. Amen. This was not a fear of man. This was not a fear of Satan. This was a fear of God. Well, that pastor scares me. It is not a fear of man. It is not a fear of Satan. It's a fear of God that you must have. When the fear hit the church, you think they were afraid of the devil? they had respect for the apostles but they listen they feared god I'm not afraid of the devil I'm not afraid of the man i get around some that make me feel very uneasy and i'm giving it space cuz i don't know what i'm feeling why am i feeling like i'm feeling i give it space to repent okay Or me to change. Me to change. And you're not thinking right. But I am not. I tell you, at times I'm concerned. At times I'm, you know, worried. In a biblical sense. But I'm not afraid of you. And I'm not afraid of the devil. But I fear God. And you shouldn't fear men. And you shouldn't fear the devil. But you better fear God Almighty. You better fear God Almighty. And you better know that God is in His church. If you say God's not there, you lie. You lie to God. You you falsify the Spirit. How many of y'all fear the Lord? You know, the the longer I live, the longer I walk with God, the longer I pastor, the the more fear of God I've got. Uh, yeah, he's a God of love. Love was there. He's a holy God, too. Holiness was there. How many you understand the action of the Holy Ghost is to purify, to purge, to cleanse the church of the phonies? I don't want to be a phony, do you? So I fear God. I don't fear the devil. I don't fear anybody here, not one of you. I fear God, and because I fear God, I'm going to treat you right. If you fear God, you're going to treat each other right, and if you fear God, you're going to respect the office of God. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Thank God for you. As some of them call, there was some call me and said, "Pastor." You know, we're going out to the mall and we're going to do this evangelism. I said, yeah, I've talked to a uh, brother about this and, but pastor's okay if we go out there and, and, uh, do these preliminary things. I said, it's, it's okay with me. I said, I appreciate your love for God and your reverential awe that you would not cross lines. And they said, pastor, we don't want to offer an unauthorized worship to God. They said, what we do when we sing is holy. It's holy. And I said, you are where you are because of who you are. That's why you called me to make sure everything's okay. That we're not offering unauthorized worship. She said, she called me yesterday. She said, it's holy, Pastor. It's holy. It's holy. Don't want to prostitute it. It's holy. I said, yeah. I said, it's got the approval. It's got the approval. You want to offer an unauthorized worship. I called the leader of it. I'm not mentioning the name by purpose, on purpose here. Uh, they offered the 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 group from there to pay the group. I believe I heard the Holy Ghost say yesterday morning, "You don't need their money." I called the leader and say, "We're not taking money. We're not taking money. We're going out there to glorify Jesus Christ, and we're going out there to win souls." We're not going out there. We're not going out there to prostitute the gifting of God. We don't need the world's money. We don't need the world's money. We've never asked the world. We've been on television for months and months and months. Hardly supported by the house. Specifically. But we've never asked money on television. For money on television. For the television ministry. Not one time. We don't try to sell anything on the television ministry. We offer things to the church, you know, offerings for things that you get for the the Word. That goes to hell. But I've never one time asked the television audience for an offering. And I do not believe in trying to sell. That is to get the Word of God out. Say amen. Amen. And I will tell you this right now. If you can't afford the CDs and DVDs that we preach and teach from, order them. Get them free. I'm just telling you that the offering that you give for it helps us get the Word out. Okay? But I told the leader, I said, we're not going to do it. They offered money. We're not going to do it. See, money, the the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, not having things, not having houses or property. That's not the problem. The love of money is the root of all evil. The spirit that got a hold of Judas was on Ananias and Sapphira. The spirit that was on Cain was on them. We can worship God however I want to worship God, said Cain. I'll bring the offering I want to bring, said Cain. God said, you have been rejected. That is the problem with the world today, is trying to come to God another way than the way God says to come to Him. And if I try to come to God another way, God said, no. Cain, no. Judas, no. You can't come to God any way you want to come to God. And I want to tell you something, friend. If I can learn one thing from this, I can learn this. That no man alive is worth dying and going to hell over. No man You cannot agree with your lying husband. Sapphira agreed with her lying husband. She said, no. I'm not agreeing with you on that. That's not God. There's no man worth dying to going to hell. There's no woman worth dying to going to hell. I'm almost done. I know somebody getting rigor mortis. But if you think, and I'm going to try to help you today, some of you are playing games with God. And you're playing games with the church. And you think that you, the pastor don't know. And you can lie to the pastor and you you know undetected things in your life. God knows. God knows. And there's nobody worth dying and going to hell. But I love him, Pastor. You cannot agree with him. If you do, you will perish with them. Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles, watch this. By the hands of the apostles were many signs, wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Power came with purity. Power, listen, you will have to worry about signs, miracles, and wonders taking place in your church. If your church is like this one, if your church is pure and holy like this one, power always comes to purity. But it never comes before purity. So now, as a result of judgment, we've got more power. The power of the resurrected Jesus is being seen in their midst. The power of a resurrected Jesus Amen. by His breath slew the wicked. The power of a resurrected Jesus is working signs and miracles and wonders by the hands of the apostles. The power is increasing. Verse 13. And of the rest there's no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. The rest, say the rest, there's not join. And of the rest, there's no man join himself to them. The believer joined with them. But men, the rest, the Bible says, there's no man join himself to them. You know what he's saying right there? This is the power of the church. People who were uncommitted, people who had not repented, people who were not born again, people who were on the fringes of the church. When they saw this, the Bible said, "We're getting away from that group. We're not going to join up with that group." It was telling everybody, no phonies allowed. God was saying it. God was saying it. No phonies allowed. And they said, oh, we can't. we can't go to that church and be a hypocrite. We can't go to that church and be a liar. And this, listen to me. The believer will join because you're going to see men and women added to the church in the next verse or so. Revival took place. But those on the fringes, the hypocrites, distanced themselves from the church. Can I tell you what sometimes a church needs before it has revival? A revival. Sometimes a church, Brother Dice said it this way, he said a church needs a back door revival before it can have a front door revival. The church. Has, what this Bible's telling you is the church has to get rid of the hypocrites, and when the hypocrites are gone, then God can send revival. This was a revival in negative. It was a backdoor revival. Sometimes our church. Oh, and it hurts. I'm not. I'm not making light of this. This hurts. It hurts your pastor. It hurts the church when those that sat beside you walk out the back door, and you wrestle with it and you struggle with it, but sometimes you just have to say, Lord, you, You did it. You did it. You took them out. How many additions have you had in the church lately? No additions. Just some blessed subtractions. Just some blessed subtractions. You know not think God means business? When Ananias and Sapphira were removed by God from that assembly, it was a blessed subtraction. Thank God! Peter had discernment. Because he knew, listen, by God, he knew that if that was allowed to continue in that church, it would destroy that church. He knew it. That's why it was so drastically dealt with. Drastically dealt with. So I tell you, it does hurt. But sometimes, be honest with you, I have to admit, that was a blessed subtraction. Because all it was was a continual disruption to the body of Christ. I told somebody just the other day, and I'm going to let you go, I'm almost finished here. But somebody in the church, that came and got baptized in Jesus' name. They stopped living with their living, because I will not baptize you in Jesus' name if you're living with somebody. I said, All right, you stop living with them, then we will baptize you in Jesus' name. They agreed. We baptized them in Jesus' name. They backslid and went to living with, with the individual again. And a sister in the church started having Bible study with them again. And the word of the Lord came to me in the middle of the night. You tell them they're a dog returned. They're like, I'm not, don't tell them they're a dog. But tell them they're like a dog returning to their vomit. And the pig to its wallowing in the mire you're going back to your old lifestyle. And I said, you are not welcome back in the church until you repent. Because I'm not going to preach to you for three years and try to get you to repent. So repent of your fornication. Repent of your adultery. Repent of your living situation. I will not preach to you for three years and try to get you to do that. When you do that, you're welcome back. the sister went, gave that word. This young girl says, I'm moving out now and I'll be in church Wednesday. Praise the Lord. I'm moving out now. I'll be in church Wednesday. Wasn't in church Wednesday. Was not in church Wednesday. No man joined themselves to this church, only the believer. Thank God. Hallelujah. See, as I let you go, I thank God for a church that's on fire, for a church that's holy, for a church that's pure. We are a church that loves people. We want people to be saved, but it's God's way. God's way. I said, God's way. It's going to be God's way. You make up your mind today. It's going to be God's way. I tell you as your pastor in this church, it will be God's way. If it's not God's way in your life, then you are not going to be here. We will give you space to repent. You understand? And I thank God for a church that's pure and holy and on fire for God and full of love. Because that kind of church will keep the hypocrites away. Thank God the hypocrites don't come here. Oh, I don't go to that church. They scared me. That pastor me. He scares me, and the way he looks, you know. <laughs> Thank God for it. We don't want the hypocrite to join the church. We want somebody who will believe. And you say, well, but Pastor, listen, I'm not saying you're a hypocrite. If you sin, you know what to do with that, don't you? Confess it. Get it under the blood. I'm not trying to run all of you off today. Do you know if you're living a hypocrite? You know if you're putting a mask on. You know if you're condoning sin. Come on, church. You know what presumption is and what ignorance is. Come on. I'm not trying to run all of you off. Thank God for the grace of God. Ananias needed it, but he refused to repent. So you understand what he says. And of the rest, there's no man joining himself to them, but the people magnified him. Look at this. Hallelujah. There's no division in the church. Amen. Amen. It's a distancing of the hypocrites from the church. That shows you the power of the church, the strength of the church. But the Bible says the people magnified it. There was no division in that church. Nobody saying Peter did wrong. Nobody walking around talking about Peter, criticizing Peter. No division over what happened there in the church. They were together. They were in unity. That's what we need in this church. That's what's needed in the church of Jesus Christ all over this nation and all over this world. That kind of unity that when discipline comes to the church, there is no criticism of the leadership. And there's no, none of your psychological ideologies and philosophies. You say, well, Pastor just angry. He just mad all the time. Better pray for Pastor. Well, I do get angry sometimes. I do. Thank God for the spirit of burning. Come on, somebody. Thank God for the burning. Thank God for it. It's a work of the Spirit of the living God. Say praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. Now, what is you got these blessed subtractions, and then all of a sudden, you've got this tremendous influx of true believers. So through judgment, we find power. Through judgment, we find revival. Through judgment. We find multitudes of people. Don't worry about it. People get mad, run off, leave the church, get ready. God's going to send revival. Sometimes He's got to cleanse the church. He's got to purify the church. And I'll be honest with you, many times I'm praying, God, purge the church. God, purify the church. Because I know that with as long as that hypocrisy resides in the church, it will dam up the flow of revival. You want the church to stay pure? You want to stay pure in your life? Don't let the de- devil damn the flow. Don't let the world damn up the flow. Don't let your sin nature damn up the flow. Because as long as there's flow, the water stays pure. I'll tell you what happens. Are y'all here with me right now? you let the devil step in and dam up the flow in your life by carnality, by the world, are y'all here, or, or the flesh, you will lose your purity because when you've got a stagnant water in you, that's where the sediments begin and the impurities begin to set up in you. Keep the water flowing. Don't let it ever dam it up don't let anybody nobody's worth dying and going to hell over listen to me church nobody's worth dying and going to hell over well my my husband didn't believe it that way what about you I found it. But look at the awesome results. And believers were more added to the Lord. Multitudes both of men and women. And if they were added to the Lord, they were added to the church. Yeah. Believers. Praise God. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets. And laid them on beds and couches and that the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Just like the Spirit of God overshadowed the Virgin Mary and she was with child. Now we got the Spirit of the Living God overshadowing people and they're healed in their body of physical sickness and they're healed in their mind of oppressing demonic spirits. In that culture, they believed in the influence of a man. A good man would, would influence you in a good way. So a good man walked down the street. I'm almost done, I promise. Walked down the street, a good man, his shadow. They couldn't wait to get the sick in the shadow of that good man. The influence hit their life. Or if you was a bad man, they saw you walking down the street, they ran from you. They got the kids away from you. They got the babies away from you. That's a bad man. We don't want them influencing you in any way. I, I'm telling you the truth. So a little bit superstitious, a little bit superstitious. They put those people in the shadow of Peter. It wasn't Peter that healed him, it was the power of God overshadowing them. Can you imagine that? So much of the power of God. Peter didn't even have to pray for him. Peter didn't have to lay hands on him. Just his shadow influence. Man, God was so powerful in that man. The shadow put him in the shadow and, and they were healed demonic spirits inside of them coming out, delivered from unclean spirits. Delivered in their physical body and delivered in their mental, in their minds. The power of God. How many of y'all want the signs, miracles, and wonders and you want the power and the influence like that? Then there has to be the holiness and the purity in the church that was in this church. I preached to you this morning the title of the message, The Holiness of the Church. That's why we have to have it. Praise the Lord. And get ready for signs, miracles, and wonders to break out all around you. In Jesus' awesome name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to stop there. I've had a wonderful time this morning because I delivered God's Word to you. And I ask the Lord's blessing to rest upon you. Father, in Your awesome name, I thank You for this assembly. I thank You for this church. I thank You for these people.